G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're diving into the deep end again today as we explore the difference between faith alone in Christ and those elements of church that our special guest today says have been foisted onto the backs of believers. Well, perhaps we are coming back to a debate over faith versus religion. Well, our special guest today says many of the elements that we think of today as essential parts of the Christian church are not scriptural at all, and worse, may even have pagan origins. John Clements has just released his new book. It's called The Gospel Unadorned, Deconstructing the Religious Church. He's looking to distinguish between those elements that are scriptural and those that are not. And in deconstructing the religious church, he's hoping to reveal a wonderful simplicity in trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. John Clements is, in fact, an associate professor in the University of Melbourne. He has a 50-year career as a medical practitioner. He's our special guest. John, a special welcome along to 2020. Good morning, Neil. It's great to be on. I'm looking forward to this conversation. And so, John, mostly you've written over the decades about medical issues. Uh, How much have you uh, given as attention to theological-type issues like this? (laughs) None at all. I've been part of a Christian community all my life, but I've never even dreamt that I was going to write a book. Um, People have bucket lists and have long lists of things they want to do in their golden years. And uh, I'd like to thank myself in my golden years, but it was never on my bucket list. It came as a complete surprise and absolutely unplanned. Um, I wrote the book, I got it published, and now I'm uh, looking rather bemused at um, trying to get it out there and promote it. And um, this is a completely new enterprise for me, and it's exciting, Neil. Yes, well... Uh, In actual fact, uh, the things you write about in your book, um, you even describe it as not for the faint-hearted. It even might offend many who, as you say, are wedded to the church system. Now, that's an interesting way of approaching how you might look even at a conversation that we're about to have today, not for the faint-hearted. How do you describe it? Well, I was speaking to a friend of mine in the U.S. this week, and uh, we were talking about the title, and he said, Deconstructing the Religious Church, that's inflammatory. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, (laughs) it may well be for some people. Um, And I think you need to understand right from the word go that I'm not criticizing any individual about anything. Um, What I'm having a go at is the religious church system. And there's a huge difference between the faith of an individual uh, in uh, faith alone, in Jesus alone, and uh, contrasting that, as I have done in the title, 
with the religious church system, and it's that which I'm really focusing on. Faith alone in Jesus alone. It's got that sort of Reformation feel about it. So when you say words like that, can you give us some insight into your own, perhaps your own Christian background? I can. I'm really proud to say that I come from an interesting line of Christians. Uh, My great-great-great-grandfather was somebody called Moses Pickett, and he came from Wiltshire in England, and he was a follower of John Wesley, and he was a primitive Methodist. And we've had primitive Methodists or Methodists in the family right up till um, my father. Um, I'm not a Methodist, uh, but I am a passionate Christian. Uh, but I have that background, which I really love. And I have a son who is also um, very much on fire for this. Uh, so I didn't have the sort of dramatic um, encounter with Jesus that some people in, uh, have in their lives. For me, I grew up in a Christian environment, and in a sense, uh, I don't have that um, wow story to tell. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And, uh, you know, having a, a heritage like that, uh, your great great grandfather, Moses Pickett, uh, a follower of John Wesley, and uh, so many might appreciate, not many perhaps have a deeper understanding of John Wesley and even his effect uh, having led through the uh, uh, the Great Awakening uh, in the uh, in England, uh, just how much of an effect that had on Australia and our uh, colonisation here and how that has shaped uh, the early foundations of Australian faith. So there's a real, uh, you know, there's a good uh, connection there. But when you say... And his brother and he went, they went over to America. To America as well. As well. Yes, John yeah. and Charles, yes. And, mm. and you know, they weren't shrinking violets. They were uh, pretty tough mm-hmm. cookies too. I mean, uh, John Wesley, uh, very happy to call a spade a spade. And uh, without his tough leadership, uh, wouldn't have sorted out a whole lot of things and brought people back to a biblical understanding of faith. And he's credited with really even saving uh, England and America uh, because of that uh, Great Awakening. So th- there's something tough in that heritage. And so calling a spade a spade, uh, calling out truth, being prepared to talk about the issues and say this is biblical and this is not, you've you've taken a lot of time to to sort through a whole lot of things. What, are the, what were your favourite things to sort through, John? Well, I didn't, as I said, I didn't plan this. It sort of spilled out. So um, uh, I wasn't determined to uh, uh, write about one particular thing. But I think the very heart of my book is uh, something, the chapter called The Called Out Ones. Now, I take a lot of time explaining that the ecclesia is really... The, uh, the essence of my book. Jesus didn't say, I will build my church or I will build my synagogue. In the Greek originally, he says, I will build my ecclesia. And that's uh, originally describing Moses meeting the assembly of the Israelites in the desert after they've been called out of Egypt. And um, uh, it's a group of people in the desert, no building, Um, Nothing formal, it's just a group of people who have um, come together, who've been called out of Egypt. And um, if you say that the Ecclesia literally translated means the called out ones, eventually you come to the thought of, well, what are we called out of? 
And um, the first call out was clearly out of Egypt. And um, Moses took the Israelites out of Egypt. But as soon as they got out of Egypt, what did they do? They complained. And some of them wanted to actually go back to the place that they'd been called out of. And that pattern is repeated time and time again. The next call out, I think, is from Babylon when the Israelites were taken into captivity into Babylon for 70 years. And uh, eventually, God called them back to the promised land. But that didn't go well either because they uh, were backsliding and they, uh, the whole story of the prophets in the Old Testament talks about how God is calling them back to his faith. Uh, the next real call-out um, is Jesus. Now, many people not, may not realize that Jesus' calling was to the Jews, and he actually forbade his um, disciples to teach the um, non-Jews, uh, and they didn't do that until after his death. Uh, but Jesus was calling the Jews out of the Pharisaic rules and religions that had been constructed around Judaism. That didn't go well because only a few Jews came out. But then we have uh, a period of um, relatively straightforward history of the Christian church for a couple of centuries until Constantine came along and declared Christianity a faith of the Roman Empire. And so we have the period right up till 1500 uh, and the Reformation when um, there was a call out of people out of the Catholic Church, uh, and that produced the Protestant line of um, Christianity. Now, I think there's a final call-out, which um, I would like to be part of. I'm not the only voice, but I'm part of it. I think there's a call-out now out of the religious church. I think Jesus is calling us back to the really fundamental part of our Christian faith, which have you already said is through grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. So I love that. Um, that's my favorite chapter, to try and uh, really highlight the fact that even now we're being called out of something, something important. But like all the other call-outs, a lot of people are not going to be able to respond to it. It's going to be too difficult. And I don't judge people for that, um, but the fact is that it's going to be difficult for people who are called out of the religious church. Well, when we say religious church, uh, an interesting as you've given us a uh, very much in a nutshell development of how things have happened since uh, Jesus' uh, resurrection and his ascension and the early formation of the church. And uh, we might say that a whole lot of tradition and rituals have accompanied the growth of the church. And uh, not everybody argues that those traditions and rituals are entirely a bad thing. Uh, neither are those religion uh, traditions and rituals that we might understand good things from the Old Testament. Uh, uh, those things that have come from uh, the antiquity and the Hebrew people, they're not all entirely a bad thing because we learn so much from those. Uh, so uh, there is a sense here in which, uh, you know, back to the book of Acts, are you suggesting that uh, that some of those rituals, some of those traditions that we do in church life, uh, either need to be rethought or done away with, or just so that we understand at least that it's not all about our salvation. Our salvation is something a little separate. How do you describe connecting those traditions with uh, with the sort of faith that you were talking about? 
Well, my book is um, trying to identify the bricks in the wall, as it were, uh, what builds up the Christian church. And some of the bricks uh, clearly must be kept. And some of the bricks we could comfortably throw away. I love the idea of the Lord's Supper as being a very precious brick. And uh, in answer to your specific question, that emerges from uh, thousands of years of Judaism having um, a specific ceremony around the evening meal at six o'clock. And then particularly the Sedar meal uh, at Passover. And uh, Jesus was um, conducting the Sedar, the, the, um, the, the Friday supper, at the uh, the Last Supper, and he did everything you would expect him to do as a practicing Jew. But then he put a new emphasis on it and described how the bread and the blood were um, symbolic of something totally new, something very exciting, and the beginning of the New Covenant. So there's one example where we certainly mustn't throw that away. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision Christian Radio. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You can help direct where our conversation goes today. Our special guest has just released a book called The Gospel Unadorned. Deconstructing the Religious Church. John Clements is our guest and our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Let's take some calls, John, and uh, listeners can help direct where we go with our conversation. Mike is in Tasmania. Hello, Mike. Welcome along. Uh, Jesus said that the ones I want, the ones the Father want, are those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, not on this mountain or, or, or in that temple. And uh, there's a book probably similar to your own, John, that's called Pagan Christianity by Viola and Barna. But um, the Lord had showed me, I believe, that the reason I took be alive is to be a worshipper, and I was led out of a traditional church. Okay, uh, let's get a thought or two. Uh, John, on Mike's uh, thoughts there, uh, you know, worshipping in spirit and in truth, this takes us to the woman at the well in Acts, I think, chapter 4. Uh, what are your thoughts for Mike? I'm encouraged. I'm looking at my bookcase right now, and I'm looking at Pagan Christianity by Frank Viola, Ed Silverso's Ecclesia, and The Church in the Wilderness, uh, various books. I'm not the first to write this sort of thing. Um, I'm following on the coattails of some very worthy authors. And uh, Mike, I think um, uh, you've clearly read some of these, and I'm sure you're on the right lines. God is looking for a contrite heart, and um, that's the beginning of worship. While I've got Mike on the line, it's interesting, isn't it? Because in church life, uh, there are some who are interested in getting into a little more of the nitty-gritty and digging down a little deeper and uh, wanting to separate those things that are absolutely necessary and those things that are not. And yet there are some in church life who've got no idea and no interest even in looking at that. And let me just ask our our guest caller, uh, Mike, is this something that you've seen over the years too? Well, well, I suppose we can only move as, as the Holy Spirit calls us and says, is there more to this than, you know, you know, and otherwise we're, 
you know, it, it's not an academic exercise. And uh, I'm doubtless the Holy Spirit led me as a religious boy to you know, get beyond knowing about God to knowing God personally and, uh, and being born again. Yep, that's great, Mike. And uh, John, when we've got people in church life who are not interested in these things, actually it deepens our faith, doesn't it? When we're into some deeper and murky waters and we have to assess what's good and what's bad, what are your thoughts for people who never really think this through very often or, or, or at all? Absolutely right. And one of the things that I've tried to do in the book at the end of each chapter is to put reflections and to ask some uh Questions which might seem superficial, but in fact, try to dig down uh, into these issues. For instance, is it okay to pray to Jesus and pray to Mary? Well, half of Christianity thinks it is. Is it okay to go to a priest and have him um, forgive your sins? Half of Christianity thinks it is. Well, what's your opinion? And... Um, these are confronting questions which uh, we don't always get at the front of the church on a Sunday morning, but are really uh, provocative. And um, as my friend said, my title of the book is Inflammatory. And um, the, the great thing about my life is that I'm unemployed. No one can sack me. <laughs> that is a real benefit, isn't it? Uh, when you can say what you want to say and uh, it's out there and, yes, uh, you're beyond uh, being sacked. Hey, uh, John, we'll take another call in a moment. Thank you so much to Mike in Tasmania. Let's take another call. Bill is in Victoria. Hi, Bill. Welcome. Oh, hello there, Neil and John. Thank you very much for your program. Uh, John, I'll just uh, be interested in your view. Um, from what I understand, Jesus located him located himself into the lower socioeconomic 2% of the, uh, of the cultural context where he was, the socioeconomic context he was in. Um, I'm just uh, noticing that some of the churches are quite comfortable. They're, they're not only meeting, they're trying to meet spiritual needs, but they're also meeting a lot of social needs. I find sometimes spending too much time in that environment is taking me away from some of the cultures that are... Uh, exploited and uh, uh, abused and, and that sort of stuff. And, and I understand that Jesus was in solidarity with them. And, and one of the, um, a, a bit of a controversial one for you, when Jesus was executed, he had a criminal on either side of him. And I'm just wondering whether Jesus was classified as part of the criminal element simply because he, he, saw, he was in solidarity with the, uh, with the people with diseases, with, with the homeless, with the, uh, the rejects. So your comment on those, please. Uh, good thought there, Bill. Uh, John, your thoughts for Bill? I'm sure you're right, Bill, that the, uh, the reason given in the Bible that um, Jesus was in such trouble was the Pharisees and the Sadducees were after his guts. They were quite clearly wanting to kill him, and that was because he was saying things which opposed their teaching. And... Um, uh, Jesus certainly did identify with the poor, the outcast, and uh, what was called in the Bible the sinners. Uh, but the reason that he was pursued relentlessly by the authorities was because he stood up against them and called them out. Uh, he went into the temple and kicked the tables over. He had righteous anger about that. And uh, he did uh, miracles which um, the Sanhedrin objected to. They said he was satanic. 
these are the things that I think really uh, brought him to the cross. Uh, Bill, thank you so much for your insight. And it is true, isn't it? Uh, Jesus, there'd be an awful lot of reasons why Jesus might have been considered among the criminal class, uh, not least of those two, his alignments with those I am passages, uh, the alignments with him being the Son of God, which uh, was in those days considered a blasphemy. Hey, we're going to take some more calls after Vision National News. In fact, John, why don't we continue to take some calls from listeners and that can help direct where our conversation goes. Michael is in Tasmania. Hello, Michael. Welcome along. Uh, thank you for having me. What are your thoughts, Michael? Well, I'm a little bit left of field here. I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering uh, how far a person goes with their, with their spiritual belief to, to undergo examination of, 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 of the book of law. Um, when a person says they are born again, what experiences do they have to confirm that? Okay, well, this is an interesting one because what we might say is belief uh, is one thing to have a cognitive belief, uh, then there's an exper- an experiential side to our faith, and uh, indeed a, a spiritual encounter that might actually be something that uh, just spurs us on and uh, and pushes us into new appreciation, and, and then we might be ready for some sort of a deeper reflection. Uh, let's get a thought or two. I'm, I'm, that, I'm that person that's had a few uh, epiphanies followed by experiences that are mm-hmm. that are unnatural to our to our law of this of the land. Um, and and we'll say those are divine encounters. Okay, let's get a thought or two. John, what are your thoughts for Michael here? I get the feeling, Michael, that um, you're really anxious about something which you haven't fully um, expressed on the radio. Uh, do you have somebody who you uh, have confidence in talking to? I've not really... I've not mentioned this at all. I'm, I've been... I guess autistic for all of my life. However, I I was displaced last year. I was living in the car with my cat. I felt this car coming at me, but it wasn't a car. It came through us, and then I was born again. Um, followed by um, putting my hand into a into a hedge and pulling out two apples. Um, um, I don't drink alcohol, I don't do drugs, um, I just can't have no explanation for it. Um, all my life I've, I've had epiphanies that have, that have come true, but this... So Michael, when you, say, when you say you like reach into a hedge and you pulled out two apples, two apples. Uh, you're saying that this is a time when you, hedge, hedge. You, were, you were looking for something to eat at the time, is that the case? No, I was looking for something untoward something unusual i was looking at a church at the time right okay and then so i went went for a walk okay well i used to pray to the church let's bring this down to uh the spiritual experiences that we have 
and how this might fit in with uh, a deconstruction of the religious church because there are some who would say uh, there are miracles happening all the time and uh, others will say uh, there's a red devil under every rock. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, spiritual experiences. Uh, I think the you know across the majority of the Christian church, the experience of salvation, uh, an encounter with God is something that we all appreciate. But, John, what are your thoughts uh, for Michael? I think it's important for all of us to really understand how we get back to the really basic moment of our Christian faith, uh, that we have an encounter with Jesus uh, and we have faith in him alone for our salvation. Uh, Christianity has uh, a lot more um, subtle uh, theologies behind that, but we need to have that part correct. And Michael, I don't know whether you've had um, that encounter with Jesus and know him as your saviour, but if you haven't, then maybe um, talking to somebody who you trust might be able to help you through that situation. Okay. Well, I appreciate I appreciate your help. Thank you. Michael, thank you so much for your call. And I feel like there's some unresolved uh, issues around the sorts of things that Michael is sharing there. But uh, but interesting, isn't it, uh, that experience, uh, in whatever experience we have, and sometimes the experiences that we have are not, um, they're not they're very unusual. And uh, to build a theology or a faith or direction for your life just around experiences actually falls way short. It's our identity in Christ, which perhaps is the key here, because, uh, you know, God and his word doesn't come just uh, written on a page, but comes wrapped in flesh and blood. And uh, the uh, understanding, the narrative around Jesus, the Son of God, these are the sorts of things where we can pursue our identity in Christ. Because it's interesting, isn't it? And I'll get your thoughts here, John. Uh, All sorts of strange or crazy or different types of things can happen to us, even perhaps even the rituals and the traditions that we are brought up with in church life, they can affect us in all sorts of different ways. Ultimately, how we identify with Christ is going to be the way we can make sense of those things. Any thoughts here? I think we uh, sometimes mistake uh, what is the essential part of our faith. I know I have some Catholic friends who say, I love the Mass. I love the pomp and the the robes and the incense and everything. And uh, that's the, I think that's being misled. That's not what being um, a follower of Jesus is about. And um, we have to understand, as you've rightly said, that uh, a lot of the things that go on around the edge are not always of Jesus. And certainly, Many of the uh, odd religions that have emerged, such as um, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses and whatever, they've often been founded by an angel of light uh, in the narrative. And we know for a fact that that, uh, Satan can appear as an angel of light, and we have to be able to use our wisdom, God-given wisdom, to distinguish what is from Jesus and what is not. 
then take that a little bit deeper too. While we're talking about the traditional uh, religious, uh, perhaps call them mainline churches, uh, you know, the robes and the incense and those sorts of things, uh, we'll take that into some modern expressions of Pentecostalism because uh, the bright lights and the amplified sound and the band on stage, not everybody thinks that that uh, is perfectly aligned with a uh, an act's look at uh, what the church looks like too. So there are all sorts of things in the way we do church that uh, you can perhaps deconstruct in all of this. Thoughts on that one? Well, there are a couple of things that I'd like to focus on. One is the temple. And um, when Jesus died on the cross, uh, he abolished temple sacrifice and the priesthood. <clears throat> And what have we done since then? We've uh, gone absolutely overboard building temples or churches and reinstating the priesthood. Um, There is only one priesthood, and that is um, Jesus said that he was um, of the order of Melchizedek. And if you don't know who Melchizedek was, uh, it's well worth doing a Bible study on that. But Jesus said that he was of the order of Melchizedek, and we are all believers, royal priests in the order of Melchizedek. And I'm, I love telling people I'm a royal priest. <laughs> I've not been ordained in any de- denominational church, but I'm a royal priest. And um, so is everyone listening who has their faith in Jesus. So um, I think creating the priesthood and all the authority and power and pomp and everything which goes particularly with the high churches is um, not... Uh, what Jesus had in mind when he died on the cross. So we would be mixing in there an appreciation of the job descriptions of an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher from from Ephesians chapter 4 uh, as a part of a thought about uh, leadership uh, in church life. And uh, even though you might have people who are called different things, priests or bishops, uh, they might actually express some of that sort of gifting. Um, we're taking calls. Let's take another one. James is in Kyabram in Victoria. Hi, James. G'day, Neil. G'day, Mike, is it? Or... Uh, John. John, sorry. I thought John, there was another speaker, Mike. I, I... But um, yeah, I've just been reading the Luke 4 where he says that he, he came to uh, preach deliverance to the captives. And I, and I was just thinking that someone touched on being born again how I met this lady many years ago and uh, her husband had committed adultery and she was in the Jehovah's Witness. So they made, although he did it, they punished her by making her sit at the back of the church um, for seven years at that point. And that was like 14 years ago or more. And um, and they they chastised her saying it was her fault that her husband committed adultery. So I'm not saying there wasn't any part there, but that's not, but something you said the other day, Neil, was, you look at the movies through the eyes of your understanding. You read Proverbs and you look at it. And I know Father God, as our daddy, he likes to watch a movie. And he likes to watch a movie with his son, just like every father would. But, but looking at it, like you said, Neil, looking at it through the eyes of our understanding, through the word, and that we can discern. Like even Christian movies, I watched The King of Kings. Lots of great points, but some of it didn't line up with Scripture. But because I know Scripture... I can go to it, like the Jehovah's Witness don't believe in being born again, as our brother mentioned earlier, that we can be born again, we can enter the kingdom of heaven uh, by being born again. And so, again, 
looking at everything through Scripture. Not that we don't go to man. I, when I first got saved, God was often saying, go to this person. I was asking him, but he's saying, and I couldn't understand, but that led me on a journey where as long as I asked who to go and talk to, I would get good answers from them, but good answers from God and use the whole picture to get the, the final conclusion. But always back, like the Bereans, going through the word. And, and, and I'd so, so reiterate that, that if you want to get set free, you can't just always listen to men. You've got to listen to the right men and, and, the right, and read the right scriptures through the right understanding. Um, Good thoughts in all of that, James. And uh, no doubt uh, there's uh, a thought or two from John ar- around that because uh, those are important thoughts. I've written a chapter on false teachers. And uh, James, I'm so pleased you gave me the opportunity to lead into that. Uh, what I've written in the book, I have to take full responsibility for. Uh, it's my writing and I published it. But there is the responsibility of the reader to read it and see whether it equates with Scripture. And James, that's clearly what you're doing in your life, and I can only applaud you for that. And I wish more people in the broader sense would, um, uh, when they hear discussions in the public domain, uh, just stop a minute and say, I wonder if that's true. I'd better check it. And uh, that attitude is, uh, is what makes a good solid Christian. James, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Interesting, isn't it, to talk about false teachers um, having a biblical lens uh, that helps us to discern not only what we're taught, but the sorts of practices that we're involved in. And so without a biblical lens, uh, you're just floating along and uh, being directed and guided by someone else's wisdom because the wisdom of God comes from developing that biblical lens, uh, something that we all have to be very aware of, John. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that was a good point from James. Okay, let's talk through uh, some issues because, interestingly, because, you know, listening to our conversation, and uh, I hope we're not, uh, you know, throwing a spanner in the works of, of listeners who are thinking about their own faith, because uh, when we have leaders in church life, and uh, those leaders have some level of rep- reputation, and they have a following that, that gathers, and uh, the things that they teach are considered to be of good reputation, and so that you've got, to, you know, churches that... That, that build around some of those who teach the Bible. And so you've got churches that are formed, uh, traditions that are formed, even those rituals that are uh, an important part for a lot of people in church life. But you like to take things back to uh, churches, say the church in Antioch, uh, where Christians were first co- called Christians, and uh, the thought of house churches and the early development of church in the first century. What are your thoughts around that, John? We have to try and work out what it is that um, Jesus planned for his church when he said, I will build my ecclesia. What was he hoping to do? What was it going to look like? And um, for the first two centuries, Christians um, seem to be doing quite well, although in the first uh, part of the book of Revelation, Jesus comes and admonishes some of the churches in Asia Minor, so they haven't got it all right. <clears throat> but Antioch seems to be the place where Christians really first came together, and that's where they were first called Christians. Well, what did they do that made Antioch um, a model church? And uh, there are several things 
the leadership was outstanding. It was um, there were a number of different people who had leadership roles. They had an outreach. Um, it's really worth reading Acts to go through what it was that made Antioch so successful because it became the cradle of Christianity. Uh, they met in private houses. Uh, as far as we know, there was no building that they met in. And indeed, they probably kept a low profile because at that point, Christians and Jews were being scattered because there was persecution from the Romans. So they probably wouldn't want to go and put up big notices saying next church house is at uh, 10 o'clock on Sunday. Um, Is the house church, the meeting in the house church, the only way to go? Probably not. Does it fulfill a lot of the needs for today's church? I think it does. I'm a big fan of house churches. They're not without their problems because very often they're spin-offs from the mother church and they do what the mother church guides them to do. And uh, there can be a hierarchical system even within house churches. But the whole principle of a few people meeting quietly in a house, uh, having somebody lead worship, having somebody teach or whatever, having a meal together, having intimacy, having relationships. These are all things that Jesus valued when he was walking on the earth. And I think house churches, beach churches, um, school churches, um, supermarket churches, they all are in existence already. And I think they're a great way to consider whether that's perhaps a better model. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Alex is in Melbourne. Hello, Alex. Welcome. Uh, hello there, Neil. Yes, uh, I have trouble, um, and your guest, hello, uh, I have trouble understanding uh, how a woman can be called a pastor uh, with the prerequisites uh, written for the church in, in, in Timothy uh, Apostle Paul uh, sets out all the prerequisites and there's no way that uh, the way I understand it, it can be a woman. Uh, well, that's uh, getting into probably a different sort of a discussion and maybe a whole different dimension. But uh, do you have a thought or two here, John, for Alex? Yes, and I'm counterculture on this one, Alex, because um, I think Jesus ministered and taught men women and children, I think he was gender neutral. I don't think he he um, favoured one particular gender or one age group. And the passages that I'm sure you're familiar with in uh, Paul's writings uh, really uh, seem to flow against that. And I'm the first one to say it's a dangerous thing to say the scriptures are wrong. If you say that, you're on a slippery slope and I hold back from that. I have to say, I don't understand how Paul can uh, write such passages which clearly put the woman in a lower category from the man. Um, If we're going to be really uh, discussing in depth about this, Timothy and Titus probably weren't written by Paul. That may shock you, but the... um, The uh, discipline of textual study uh, has come to the conclusion that those students of um, this studying are absolutely unanimous that many of the books that are claimed to be written by Paul 
probably weren't. And therefore, uh, it may be that Paul didn't intend that to be in his writings and that somebody else wrote it. I don't know whether that helps you. I'm not sure uh, getting into a technical uh, conversation uh, actually makes people comfortable with their faith, but uh, yeah, certainly yeah. those uh, you know who are doing deeper levels of study uh, around Scripture and uh, looking at uh, those sorts of um, uh, even archaeological evidences as to how those things came about, uh, they'd be in- impressed to, to hear that there's some other different thoughts around that. But Alex, I hope that is helpful to you, and we're almost out of time for our conversation. What I wanted to ask you uh, around your thoughts here, uh, John, is for young people today, if you've been around for a little while, uh, you're probably familiar with the fact that people do things differently, that there is a Bible and that there is something that you can glean from that that gives us uh, some boundaries for our spirituality uh, and the things that will help us to grow uh, in uh, in our identity with Christ and perhaps then involving ourselves with his mission, which is giving us direction. But for young people today, you've been concerned that some young people are seduced into a wrong direction because of uh, all of the things that are foisted upon uh, their backs. What are your thoughts here for direction for the future for particularly young people? I'm very optimistic. I think young people haven't lost their spirituality, but I think there are some um, options open to them which appear more attractive than the boring uh, got to go to church on a Sunday in my best clothes approach. And uh, it just seems more exciting to join the New Age movement or Buddhism or um, Spiritism or even Satanism these uh, are more exciting uh, or appear to be so to the young person who's searching to find an expression of his or her personality and spirituality. And uh, I think we have to smarten up the image of um, the church, the ecclesia. We have to smarten up the image of Christianity uh, so that the young person doesn't have to be attracted by heavy rock music. I don't think that's the way to reach um, them with the gospel. Uh, I think they have to see the gospel as the most exciting thing that could possibly happen in their lives. And that's a challenge for every Christian. And there's a challenge there because a lot of the traditions and rituals the church may well have grown up with, even over the past 2,000 years, may have been about... Uh, people who are thinking more deeply about how they actually make the gospel attractive to the cultural audience that they have held. So there's something there to hold into tension. But uh, let me just, let's just squeeze in one more call. I don't want to miss uh, an opportunity to have a listener contribute. Margie is in Hobart. Hello, Margie. Welcome. Thank you very much. Need to be quick. What are your thoughts, Margie? Well, <clears throat> I was listening, and um, I liked the mention and idea of, um, you know, home church, school church, or whatever it is. I think as long as everyone truly believes the presence of God and it's act uh, all acted out reverently, um, I mean, my, I'm a Catholic. I was brought up as a strict Catholic, but that doesn't mean I take hold and believe in every uh, ritualistic um, happenings or what what I I had to grab on 
to what I believed in, and, and it's truly I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. Um, I accept the host and the why, but I don't judge anyone. I accept all religions into my home, whereas a lot of people wouldn't. Catholics can be very fearful of other religions, uh, which I think is a little bit of ignorance. And may, maybe uh, they might have been told by their parents, which I was, that you, you don't go into another church or you don't do this. Well, well, I'm an adult and I've chosen my own beliefs and I hope they're being steered by God. But I love all people. Maggie, I'll, just, I'll cut in here because uh, we are short yeah. of time. But just to say uh, that, isn't it, uh, thank you so much for some good input here because uh, some of the traditions, some of the things, the rituals that we develop in church yeah. life, uh, these are the things yeah. that give us a culture and they help us to focus on the things that are important to our denomination. And clearly in Margie's church, the focus has been on Jesus and those essential elements that we'd hold to across all of our denominations but a quick thought or two from John for Margie so there's a difference between accepting the person and accepting the belief that they hold dear to and um, so long as we hold them in respect as individuals then that's fine but just by accepting um, the individual and loving them doesn't mean we have to accept what they believe and Margie, uh, for some listeners, uh, when you say accepting other religions, I'm assuming that you're referring to other Christian denominations in that. Uh, but uh, you might have some other thoughts, but let me just throw that in there that, uh, that there becomes an issue, doesn't there, when we're talking about uh, blending our faith with other world religions, but of course uh, blending our faith together with other expressions of our Christian faith, uh, that's something that we ought to perhaps encourage. Hey, uh, we have drawn things uh, out a little bit longer and taken an extra couple of minutes. John, we have to uh, just uh, draw some loose ends together here. In fact, let me just give you, uh, for listeners, how they can actually explore some more of your book. Uh, They can go to your website, thegospelunadorned.com. That's a website, thegospelunadorned.com. That is the title of John Clement's book, The Gospel Unadorned, Deconstructing the Religious Church. John, uh, great insights today, uh, let me say, and uh, thanks so much for applying all of the wisdom that you've gleaned over uh, 50 years as, as, a, as a physician and as a, a trainer and someone who's served uh, in cir- circumstances there where you've, uh, you know, you've been working in the developing world. Uh, thanks so much for bringing your faith to the fore and for uh, creating a book like this. Appreciate you being with us on 2020. Thank you for inviting me, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.